This is Cinema Roundtable. My name is Stefan Decker, and I am here with my usuals, Haley. Hello. And Bo. What up? And we are here to talk about some of the movies that we've seen recently, uh, and we'll have an in-depth discussion about our feature film, Alita Battle Angel, and that'll come toward the end of the program. But before we get there, we're <laughs> going to talk about some of the movies that we've seen uh, in the recent weeks. Um, and so we're going to, we, we compiled a list. We're going to start uh, with a movie that I'm not familiar with. Uh, this is called Free Solo. Free Solo, you should know about this. And uh, Haley and I both saw it. This is uh, the movie that won Best Documentary Feature at the Oscars. Who watched that this year, though? <laughs> Almost no the one, Oscars. probably. Actually, I didn't hear about the ratings. Is it like less viewed than last year? Because I know the ratings were low yeah. in 2018. I don't know what the trend was like. But um, anyway, Free Solo is a, a 2018 documentary film. You can currently catch it on Hulu, and it's directed by uh, a married couple, Elizabeth Chai Versa Haley, and I just butchered that woman's name, and Jimmy Chin. <laughs> you did. Oh, my God. I just murdered her name. And uh, this chronicles the first free solo climb of El Capitan in Yosemite National Park, um, it's done by Alex Honnold, who's been climbing most of his life. It chronicles not only his climb up El Cap, but it chronicles um, how he um, struggles with, you know, how does he maintain a girlfriend during this? How does he prepare his friends who are filming him? Because this documentary crew is actually made up of all of his friends. Like these people all personally know him. And Jimmy Chin, the cinematographer, he assembled, he sort of handpicked this mm-hmm. documentary team himself with people that he trusts, with people who are climbers themselves. And so it's a really interesting, unique look at how documentary films are made as well. And you get a lot of behind the scenes looks at the logistics behind how they shot him, how they planned him. And um, Alex takes this this um, many, many years, I think it's eight years of preparation to climb this thing. And uh, you obviously know that he did it because it's it's an uh, event. It's like a milestone. You can look up. It's It happened in, I want to say, 2017, mm-hmm. um, middle of 2017, I think. Um, so it's out there. But it's nevertheless very just white knuckle stressful. It is. I was I lost all the moisture in my body through my hands when I was watching this movie. <laughs> it's shot beautifully. Uh, Alex himself as like a person I'm kind of conflicted because he's so interesting because they do like an MRI scan on his yeah. brain and they find that he, he doesn't have, uh, what what's the part of your brain that amygdala. controls? Amygdala. His amygdala oh. isn't firing or um, it takes a lot more uh, to activate that part of his brain. And so the, the feat of climbing thousands of feet um, with no harnesses, no ropes, free soloing this thing, um, it's something that just he is a little bit more naturally able to do because he doesn't have that quality as much as other people. Uh, But that doesn't stop him from sort of getting a little bit of stage fright when he has his friends recording him. It definitely affects his performance. So he has to learn how to get through that. And the documentary crew at the same time has to figure out how do we work around 
some of the stressors we're causing for him while he's doing this. So it's a really interesting look at someone's very unique talent and skill uh, and also, you know, the, the process to film it. Then on the other side, Alex himself is just, uh, he's kind of a jerk, you know, in yeah. a way. You know, he talks a lot about his relationships. Um, his girlfriend in the movie is an absolute sweetheart. She's amazing. She's like an angel. She's from an God. angel. She's an angel. <laughs> and she deserves way better than him, in my opinion. I, the whole movie, whenever she was in a scene and he was just like totally mind focused on um, climbing and wasn't even paying attention to her. And she was doing everything for him, all these acts of service, all these words of affirmation, and he's not returning it. I just thought, Man, break up with him. Yeah, F him. I thought I was like, why are you still here? <laughs> I would have been yeah. out a right. long time ago. Is that like an absence of amygdala thing going on there, or is he just he, kind of a dick? He kind of talks about like how when he was younger, like his family, they weren't emotional people at all. Like they never said "I love you" or anything like that. And yeah. he's just very like detached, okay, yes. like in general. And I think it might be an amygdala thing. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. They talk about in the movie like uh, the, he might be on the spectrum for Asperger's. Oh, too, yeah, you know? that's right. Um, and that definitely plays a part in it, though. Mm-hmm. And and uh, there's kind of an examination of of nature and nurture a little bit because they talk about how um, you know his father passed away when he was 18 or 19, and um, he there's one point where he talks about how when he entered his 20s maybe mid 20s he had to learn how to hug people cuz he yeah. he wasn't oh. mm-hmm. he had never like really been hugged ever in his life and so i think there's kind of that estrangement from normal human behavior that he's trying to learn how to cope with while he's trying to achieve one of the most incredible feats in climbing um and his girlfriend kind of observes his change over time, too. Mm-hmm. You know, like, in the year and a half I've dated him, he's already come so far. But to us, he still kind of seems like this distant guy who doesn't really know every social cue and stuff. But um, So I'm a little conflicted on just, like, being a fan of him personally. Yeah. But what he does is very interesting, and it's just shot beautifully. And I lo- it's it's amazing movie. And the score is really great, too. Yeah. Really beautiful uh, score. So it's just a great, beautiful movie to listen to and to look at. All right. Yeah. Anything to add, Haley? Um, I just liked the whole commentary on death, like about it, oh. which is really gloomy. <laughs> but I mean, like they literally, like his, all of his friends and the crew are like, "All right, so what's the plan if he dies?" Mm. Like during this, because it's like you make one mistake, like you're dead. And so he was like doing this climb. For fully knowing that it was more probable that he would die than successfully do this climb, which just like blows my mind. Yeah. Like, and, and his outlook on life versus death is very interesting too. Mm-hmm. Like close to the beginning, he says, um, on any given day, any person can die. So the only difference here is that I'm just, you know, making it slightly more probable that I will die today or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, and he also says at one point, you know, it's all about just practicing something enough to where I can do it, even if a stadium of people is looking at me, you know, to the point where something that might be hard for me today, tomorrow, it might be as simple as, hey, look at this, and I can effortlessly do it. Um, and that, he's just, he just like, you know, looks at 
El Cap, and then he just starts climbing it. Yeah. You know, he just doesn't even let that get in the way. I think a lot of a lot of his hesitation just comes from um, being around all these cameras, and he just mm-hmm. has to learn how to climb in this slightly different scenario, and he overcomes it. It's crazy. I didn't know that he overcame it, though. Like, watching the movie, I hadn't okay. heard about him or anything. So during the actual climb i was like am i gonna watch him die right now like i have no idea i was like i don't want to see someone die so then i googled it because <laughs> i was so scared bear, yeah i couldn't bear it and then i saw that he was fine oh sorry if that's a spoiler but um yeah he's, he's no, alive <laughs> it's in some shots were you thinking like oh my gosh this shot would perfectly frame his death because it's like looking at him I from know. above you know like he's he is in the top of the frame but it's like upside down, so you see the rest, like the two thousand feet below him, and he doesn't have any gear holding him. He's just uh, often he is hanging on to little like half inches of of rock or it's granite ridiculous. that are that are jutting out from the side. Cool. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Chill. And uh, the way he just methodically plans it out too, like he has a notebook that he keeps of all of the steps. Yeah. He literally memorizes where. His feet and hands need to be, and what kinds of movements he needs to do. Uh, again, just to the point where he can do it effortlessly. So wait, let me let me get this right. He is this something? Is this a climb that he did a bunch of times with gear yes. and safety mm-hmm. equipment? Yeah, sorry. And that he memorized. Yeah. Okay. So El Capitan is actually it's it's climbed by many people every year. Right. But they have the the harnesses. I'm not going to know the right terms, but they have the right um, gear that. You see many mountain climbers. That prevents you from dying. Right. Yeah. Many climbers from uh, dying. And they said in the movie only two, one or 2% of climbers even attempt free soloing anything. Free soloing is the act of climbing without any gear, just using your hands and feet. Uh, mm-hmm. and so it's such an exclusive. <laughs> that's what's cool about it is it's like the most am- amazing achievement, but it's in a very exclusive category of activity that not even that many people do themselves. So it truly feels like something only one person will do in our lifetimes, but it could inspire more people to try to do it too. But they could die. I don't know. Yeah. There's a there's a Good lot luck with that. There's a lot they mention a lot of climbers who die and it's really Yeah, like he was talking it's about mortifying. just during that documentary like cuz he's obviously pretty like he knows everyone in the climbing world. And yeah. like some of his friends like die during climbs that year, and he's like, "Yeah, it happens." Like, yeah, you one. Expect it. The way it's structured is they would bring up like some people dying every so often. They brought up this this news event of this notorious climber who dies, and they bring it up like right before he actually does his attempt at climbing El Cap, and it almost seems like he just shrugs it off, like it doesn't bother him. Yeah, like it could totally mess with anybody else mentally, like. Holy shit! I just saw in the headlines this guy I knew. He died. I'm out. I'm not climbing today. But he just—he's able to set it aside. It's unbelievable. Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we talked about that. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's all good. Um, let's move on to one of the ones that uh, Haley saw. Let's talk about. Isn't it romantic? Woo! Rom com. Uh, so isn't it romantic stars Rebel Wilson, who is a rom-com favorite of this generation, I feel <laughs> like. the peop- A lot of people have mixed feelings about her, I guess, but 
in general, I would say most women I know think she's hilarious. Uh, I think she's really funny. Um, but I'm not actually familiar with her. You don't know? Did you ever see? Um, oh gosh, she's in the Pitch Perfect. Pitch movies. Perfect. I haven't that's seen kind Pitch of, Perfect movies. That's kind List of, of where she got uh, really famous here. She was in um, Bridesmaids also, if you saw that. Okay, She yeah. was the like Australian roommate who had oh, the really yeah, yeah. infected tattoo. <laughs> that's right, yeah. That's it's been how years I learned about her. That. And I, I had been a fan of her since that movie because she was so funny. Gotcha. But um, yeah, this movie is basically, uh, it stars her and she is this young woman living in New York and she works at an architect uh, agency and she's very much like not into like love or anything like that. She's like, like the beginning scene is like her as a kid watching, um, oh gosh, what is it? The one with (laughs) the hooker who like is Uh, Pretty Pretty Woman. Woman. She's watching Pretty Woman and right away her mom is like, that stuff isn't real and it'll never happen for you because we don't look like that. <laughs> and so ever since that moment, I guess she had been like, love is dumb. It's all fake and I hate romantic comedies. Well, then she like um, gets in an accident or something, like hits her head and she ends up in this world. Like she's stuck in a romantic comedy. And so all of a sudden, like New York City is like really pretty and like aesthetically <laughs> pleasing and, like, all these people that um, were in her, like, life before are there again, but as, like, these kind of cliche rom-com characters. Yeah, character caricatures. Yeah, like, uh, this guy that she had to do a presentation for who's um, played by Liam Hemsworth. Okay. Um, in the movie, he plays her lover, but in like their real life, he was like this big jerk, uh, and he's just like very obnoxious. And she's just like, I hate this. Like, how do I get out of here? Like, this sucks. And there's even like, <laughs> there's even like this um character who plays like the gay best friend, and who's just like really like flamboyant and cliche and out there and stuff. So they kind of hit on like all the tropes that you see. Which I thought was super funny. I would say at first it was it was a really hilarious movie. And then she's just kind of trying to figure out, like, okay, how do I get back to normal life? <laughs> like, why am I here? And it's one of those things that's like, oh, I have to fall in love with him or get him to fall in love with me to get out of it. But in the end, it's something else, which I won't say because I guess it's a spoiler, but you can probably <laughs> guess it. But, um, yeah, it was it – was, Fun to watch, uh, but I feel like they could have done a lot better, especially with the end. Like, the idea was such a fun idea and something that I had kind of been, like, waiting for. Like, I didn't even know I wanted that, but it turns out I did. Uh, But they just didn't really do a great job of, like, delivering in the end. Like, they just told you the point, and you're like, oh, Okay. Movie's <laughs> over. You're like, I guess. Oh, okay. I didn't really uh, see that though. But uh, now yeah. it sounds like the premise sounds very similar to a movie that came out last year with Amy Schumer called "I Feel Pretty." Oh, I never saw that. Wait, I never saw it either. I'm basing all this entirely on what you've just said and the previews I've seen. Mm-hmm. So, but 
It made me it made me think, think of that as well. I think that movie was more like the shallow Hal, but a girl version. And see, I'm thinking of shallow Hal when yeah. you're talking about this too. Yeah, no, with this, like she still like looks like herself and everything. She's just stuck in like an everything is perfect world. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, so it's a little different. Mm-hmm. Like she's not like changing her body or anything. Right. And this one she's the way she perceives the world is changing, but she is very much aware of like who she is. Yeah. Like the whole yeah. time she's like, uh, this isn't normal. Like gotcha. me, the hell very, is this? Very aware that yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And I, I had seen previews, you know, when it was coming out and I was like that totally doesn't seem like my jam. Uh, right. But it's it's reviewed way better than I would have expected. It's sitting at a 70 on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, dang. Uh, I didn't know it was that good. From critics and like even a 51 from an audience score, which is still. I really thought, I thought the characters were hilarious. Like mm-hmm. the characters were some of the best part. It was just like the end, like delivery was just very flat. And I was mm-hmm. like expecting more of like a bang, but. I get you. Whatever. Can't have it all. Well, looking at IMDb, some of the related movies are, one, I Feel Pretty, uh, but also another movie that we're going to talk about today, Instant Family. And this is a movie that uh, I saw over the weekend uh, in the Red Box. Um, it stars, let me click on here so I get their names right, uh, Mark Wahlberg and Rose Byrne uh, and Isabella, I'm going to say Monet. I don't know if it's Monet or Moner, but um, it's about this young-ish couple, probably in their early to mid-30s, um, and they flip houses for a living, like that's what they do, um, and they just kind of on a whim decide that maybe they would look into uh, fostering children, um, just kind of, it, it's almost like it's on a dare by one of their family members that's trying to get pregnant. And so they decide to um, foster children and go through the process. And uh, as as another sort of like uh, middle finger to the man, they, they try to do the thing that most people won't do, and they uh, foster a teenager. Uh, well, the teenager comes with two younger children, so they end up with three children instead of one. And it's about um, basically trying to adapt to uh, having three young children that grew up in unfortunate circumstances and combating those and making them feel at home while still trying to decide if uh, you are able to be good parents when you kind of sort of rushed into it. Um, and so I would say that's that's what the movie's about. And um, it I rented it because I knew that... Uh, it would be a little more impactful to me and my wife because we went through a miscarriage recently and um, we've been trying to start a family for years. And so it was like, well, honey, today we're going to cry probably. Uh, But I feel like it didn't really deliver on that for me. Um, Like there was, there was a little bit too much levity with the hardships. There was a little Mm. too much, um, comedic relief when there didn't need to be I felt yeah uh, it felt a little forced into levity and um there's also like I said with uh the Paul Giamatti movie that we talked about recently private life private life 
where there's there's elements of affluence that make it a little bit easier to start a family when you know people who don't have that kind of money can't achieve that sort of thing and they address it in the movie like in the dialogue they address it's like you're they don't say use the words white savior but it's basically like a white savior sort Mm -hmm. of mentality and they address it very briefly but that didn't really take away from still feeling it throughout the film it was very much like a white savior helping the you know poor Mm -hmm. brown children find a home yeah and that that didn't sit super well with me but it is also based on a true story so i can't like oh okay that's true i can't change what actually happened don't they do a tribute at the end with pictures yeah there were some some pictures there at the end and we didn't sit through the whole credits just because like i think both Lacey and i were both disappointed with the movie in general like it just didn't land quite right it wasn't as dramatic as i feel like it should have been yeah uh i saw this with my wife and she was kind of looking for a different experience she was looking for a feel good just a feel good experience and i think that this delivers on that front you know if because it it does kind of try to have its cake and eat it too you know with all the comedic stuff it tries to have something for everybody mm-hmm. and i i think it it succeeds in some ways and doesn't in others uh the supporting cast of this movie and specifically all the minor characters that you only see in one or two scenes for me they all seemed like they were all on board mm-hmm. like the the way that everybody just even the secondary and tertiary characters seemed really like part of this world and not in a always in a realistic way but they just had fun in a way that that just seemed really consistent. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, there's the meeting with foster parents near the beginning, mm-hmm. like prospective foster parents in there. It's kind of a seminar yeah. and they're asking questions and learning more about the process. And just the, the way the humor plays out in that, like the, all the characters, they don't all act the same, mm-hmm. but they're all just like goofy in some way. Right. You know? They and all have this like characteristic, but then they like, Turned it up a little bit. They turned yes. it up a couple notches. Turned it up a couple notches. Like the religious family is yeah. pretty religious. <laughs> and then yes. the, the woman that wants a successful child is yeah, like- Yeah, she's totally clueless. Totally uptight and totally clueless. Right. And Delusional. Just, yes. yes. Um, so, I mean, and just looking at it on the surface, those parts are really funny. But yeah, you do bring up good points. Like it, it's, this, this is a very serious subject matter. Mm-hmm. And it is based on- real people, so it can kind of get away with that stuff. Uh, but I thought it was interesting to kind of see it as, it's a fish out, out of water story, okay. but kind of two ways, yeah. right? Because the kids are in this sort of affluent situation. That this this mom and dad, are, or these married couple, are uh, in, they're, they're well off. Mm-hmm. And then, but at the same time, the these this man and wife, who don't have any kids they want to they want something like this and they think it's going to be all all roses and and perfect and uh it's not that and it's very tough so uh it is interesting to see how those two um situations play out and how the expectations of one don't meet the other and mm-hmm. um i i don't know yeah I've, i thought it was a, a good sit mm-hmm. it was funny um very feel good, but in a way that's maybe overly sentimental and feels a little forced. 
I will say that a lot of the uh, a lot of the extended family, um, especially Mark Wahlberg's mother character, I you know reminds me of my family members. Uh, she's played by Margot Martindale, and like even Rose Byrne's family situation, those are all people that I have in my family, and so I feel like that the characters were well represented mm-hmm. in those senses. Yeah, and also cool that it kind of focused on Foster parenting Mm -hmm. um you know we've seen lots of movies about adoption or like in the case of private life trying to conceive in many interesting ways i don't feel like i've seen a movie about foster parenthood as much right yeah it's it's definitely lesser talked about in media of course because as they talk about at the beginning there are a lot of people that abuse the system and so there aren't always happy stories to tell about that Um, i think the movie kind of realizes that foster kids and foster parents aren't as uh, recognized or thought about or understood. And so I think it does a good job of just sort of naturally teaching what this world is about through what Rose Byrne and Mm -hmm. Mark Wahlberg go through. That's true. Yes, that's absolutely true. I will Mm -hmm. give you that for sure. Okay, Uh, moving on. We'll save that one toward the end. Let's talk about Ingrid Goes West. So this movie came out a few years ago. I think it came out in 2017. That sounds um, right. Yeah. Yeah, it did. Um, but it it stars God, that Aubrey was two Plaza. years ago now. Yeah. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, that's so weird. And this came out. I mean, the Sundance release date was January 2017. Woof. So yeah. It's almost 2020. I'm just like stop. Uh. <laughs> stop time. But um, yeah, so it stars Aubrey Plaza, and she plays this girl Ingrid, who I think she's supposed to be in like her early twenties, like you know, college, out of college age. Um, and I saw this uh, a little bit ago, so I don't remember exactly how it starts, but we know kind of off the bat that um, she has issues, <laughs> to say the least. Um, she her mom passes away who we learn was sick and uh she was you know her mom was like her best friend and we find out that she really doesn't have any friends of her own and the one that she did have they don't speak anymore they had some sort of falling out and um basically ingrid kind of um is really obsessed with, like, social media, especially Instagram is, like, her thing. So she will, like, be on it for hours and... That sounds like Stefan. (laughs) I love Instagram. That's what what you're on now. Instagram. That's my favorite. (laughs) For the gram. (laughs) But, um, yeah, so she... You kind of see right away that she kind of has this twisted point of view on, like, friendship and that... You know, if someone with a lot of followers, you know, replies to a comment of hers, to her, she's like, oh, my gosh, we're going to be best friends. Like, we have to, you know, meet or whatever. And that's basically what happens. She follows this girl with, like, several thousand followers. She replies to a comment of hers. And she's like, you know what? I'm just going to take all this money that I got from my mom, you know, from when she passed away. And I'm I'm going to California and I'm going to, like, go meet this chick. So she's very stalkery. So basically it's about her stalking um, this woman who's played by oh Elizabeth, gosh, Olsen. Elizabeth Olsen, who 
who she's in the Avengers and all that mm-hmm. jazz. Uh, one of the Olsen, not one of the Olsen twins, <laughs> the not Olsen twin. Um, and it's just, it's a, I think everyone should kind of watch this movie, especially in this like day and age of like social media. Like just yesterday, how like Facebook and Instagram like wasn't working. I was like just on Twitter and everyone's like, oh, I'm back on Twitter after like five years because these aren't working and I don't know what to do with myself. And I'm just like, what? Like it just kind of blew my mind like how dependent we all are on it. Like, yeah, uh, I heard about that without even being online because yeah. I was playing Bloodborne on my PS4 and my wife goes, can I see your phone for a second? And I go, why? <laughs> she goes, well, apparently Instagram's down and I'm trying to post something. I go, what is your problem? And then she pulls out my phone and it worked for me, I guess. Oh, you're and one of the lucky I ones. I was one of the lucky I ones guess. and I didn't even need to use it. So I could have given, I wish I could have like given my social media powers away because I didn't need them. <laughs> yeah, we, but, we had a bit of a meltdown here at work yeah. because we had a big showcase in Texas yeah, yesterday oh, yes. and they couldn't post anything. Yeah. Apparently well, everybody was freaking out well, down there. Well, so mine worked and then I go, well, try yours again. And she refreshed and then hers worked. So I don't know. It was weird. It was like on and off for everyone. Like sometimes mine would work, sometimes it wouldn't. But everyone was like checking and checking, checking it. (laughs) I didn't touch my Instagram, but my Facebook wouldn't work Yeah, my Facebook was not. It wasn't happening. But this movie is a really good like commentary about just kind of the culture we're, we're living in with that. It's like a little bit of an exaggeration but at the same time you can see all of this stuff happening like in real life mm-hmm. like people stalking each other on instagram through like their location tags and copying each other's like styles and works and just like mimicking people that you admire and like the i won't spoil the end but the end really hits it like on the mark about just this whole like viral craze society we're kind of living in now how like you could do something terrible and you could be a really not great person but if you go viral online like you're guaranteed like a life basically now yes at whatever cost yeah like you're gonna be on ellen you're gonna get advertising (laughs) you're gonna start a business because you went viral and that's yeah this movie uh takes a really good kind of look into that whole facade of like this chick posting on instagram but really like her priorities are out of whack and she's not a great person yeah but everyone online admires her because of her aesthetics right yeah yeah it definitely shows like both sides of the Mm -hmm. dangers of being um hyper obsessed with social media because there's um, there's Ingrid, who is the biggest, most obsessive fan of Elizabeth Olsen's character. Mm-hmm. But then you have Elizabeth Olsen, who is trying to live the most perfect life she can, you yeah. know, and, and try to prove to the world that she has the best life. And that's unhealthy, too. And it causes, it breeds people like Ingrid. And uh, I, I, I remember, I, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I remember a scene where like Ingrid and Taylor are just trying to like get a picture like outside yeah. and they get like some rando dude who's nearby to get the picture of them and they're telling him to how to photograph them in the most perfect way yeah. and he's just this dude who drives a truck who's like old and they're like oh can you just a little bit more to the left and they're do it like 60 times you know and that's the 
just in a snapshot, pun intended, is that is how they communicate like mm-hmm. that this new weird world that we're in. And they literally tell that guy, like, oh, can you just get on the ground and take it? Like, can you lay on the dirt <laughs> yeah. and take this photo? They're, like, out and in the desert like, and he's laying down. Yeah. Like, this is so true. Cringy. And it's just, like, even though this came out, like, just a couple years ago, it's still so relevant. It especially is. with, like, this whole, like, college money scandal thing and how uh, – do you guys know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah. How, like, one of the women's daughters, I guess she's a big, like, online star like that, mm-hmm. like, Instagram person, has all these brand deals. And now they're all, you know, dropping out of deals with her because of this whole thing. And so it's just, like – Well, and even I heard, like, a soundbite of hers where she was talking on her YouTube channel about how <sighs> she didn't actually care about yeah. college, but she wanted the, like – partying and drinking experience yeah. yeah and she's like well uh i guess an education is sort of important too like this movie does a really good job of kind of showing those people because those those are real people like yeah. who act like that and feel totally justified through their following mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah I, w- I would recommend this movie for sure yeah the delusions are just are so cringeworthy like it's just a it's cringeworthy so, and then so what cringy. what aubrey plaza is willing to do is it's all cringeworthy i love her i think she, she's great i think she's you would love amazing it. i think she gives a really amazing performance in this she is incredible mm-hmm. i thought she is she always plays such a great psycho and i love <laughs> yeah. it she gave the opening monologue and I don't know if she's like the host, maybe she was the host, but she gave the opening monologue at the Independent Spirit Awards mm-hmm. this year. And a lot of it is just really bad jokes, but she did a, some of them are just really funny. Just the way she made fun of all the filmmakers and actors at that. I would, <laughs> it's like 10 minutes. It's worth it online. Cool. Yeah. Uh, all right. We're going to save one of the bigger ones for last. So we'll talk about Bumblebee first. Um, and this is the latest in the Transformers franchise. Uh, and this is one that obviously have meant a lot to me. I'm a big Transformers fan, mostly of the toys. The movies have not been great pretty much ever. But um, <laughs> Bumblebee kind of turns that around for fans and casual you know, viewers alike. Uh, highest rating Transformers film ever. Um, and it, it shows. And... Um, I saw something on Twitter that really kind of maybe drives home the reason for that. And it's that it's just one writer instead of like a team of people trying to throw together uh, an hour and a half, two hours of moving metal CG. uh, They actually have one writer that writes all the characters and, and makes sure that the story makes sense. And it does it. It kind of, um, if you consider it part of the continuity of the previous films, uh, you're going to be pointing out a lot of plot holes because they're there. Um, but they're not officially calling it a reboot of the franchise, but they are sort of saying that it's its own thing. It's very confusing because they won't outright say it's a reboot, even though it kind of is. Um, and so there's there's a lot of plot holes if you consider it part of the overall universe, but... Uh, if you consider it its own thing, it's a great movie about um, Bumblebee, a Transformer that's become very beloved, uh, even though he used to be kind of just not anything in his original format. But um, yeah, I thought it was pretty good, you know? 
I think the characters were written well. The uh, the comedy is still there, especially in um, Charlie's family. Uh, toward the second and third act, there's a lot of comedy there. Um, but uh, I don't know. I think they did a great job. The character designs are very good. There's not too much going on. There's not faceless Decepticons. You know, there's not just like metal monsters. Like you have your villains. You know who they are. You know what their names are. And you know their purpose. Uh, and it's just a great story about a child that found a robot and learns how to communicate with him and really create a bond that matters. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot that I could say about it, but I think that's the important stuff is that if you have given up on the Transformers franchise, give it another shot, especially if you're a fan of like G1 Transformers. Those character designs are represented in the movie. Like in the battle on Cybertron, they look like their G1 selves instead of the nonsensical changes to the characters. Is G1 like Generation 1? Yeah. Okay. Like Transformers in 1984. As they were originally designed. Oh, yeah. Like Ironhide is red and has a windshield on his chest right. in the movie, as opposed to a black pickup truck with a deformed face. Well, that feels like the very obvious choice because the movie's set in the 80s. Right. You know, right when Transformers was entering mainstream pop culture. And uh, yeah, I saw this with you. And it is it's definitely like my favorite Transformers movie. Like it, it is, it feels like the Iron Giant in a way. You know, you have oh, the yeah. very, you have a very human character in Charlie, but Bumblebee himself also feels really human as well. And they just have a connection. They um, complement each other really well. And unlike another movie we'll talk about later, uh, there's there's a, a really clear human villain and then a really clear um, non-human villain. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't get muddled. You Like you said, you know where everybody is. And it's a great tribute to the 80s, too. I mean, without oh, yeah. being... It kind of seemed like... To, it, to the... To a certain person, it might be a little bit overbearing, but I really liked all the eighty like stuff. It, it's not like it was Ready Player One or anything no, like that. No, <laughs> it's not like it needed to be set in the eighties. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just where it was, and it wore that badge proudly on its chest. But it didn't like it. the The plot did not depend on that necessarily. Uh, but it is. It's a fun movie, and uh, I think that the main series is just so f- fucked. Yeah. You know, that, that the some of the um, continue some of the um, plot inconsistencies, I think they're forgivable because now I feel like I can sort of look at this. If, when you look at the timeline, this would chronologically come first, obviously, of all the Transformers movies. And so I can kind of forgive that because mm-hmm. I don't I stopped watching the main <laughs> series, you know, after the third one. Right. I haven't seen any of the um, is it Mark Wahlberg? In yeah. the new ones, I haven't yeah. seen Marky any of the Mark. Mark. I haven't seen any of the Mark. You're Wahlberg missing movies. out. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. Don't. But like the other ones that I did see, like you know, we're in the desert, and yeah. we're trying to resurrect the. Why are we here? Why are there? <laughs> why are there? Tra- why are there balls swinging? <laughs> why are there swinging testicles? They're finally making a really like legit toy of that character. <sighs> Wait, no, it's, is that I'm a thing very that happened? Exciting. Yes. Oh. There's no. There's no wrecking ball. Transformer though, so I don't know why those are even there. 
Yeah, I kind of I checked out of those movies a long time ago because I was really sick of the whole like, like oh Michael Bay and who's gonna be the hot Transformer chick? Because it was right. like Megan yes. Fox, yeah. and then they axed her, and then they got another model. So, and I saw the the Bumblebee movie because I was like, okay, this is one I might mm-hmm. actually enjoy, and I did because they didn't like hypersexualize anyone. Like it wasn't like. Weird. It wasn't gross for me right, to watch. Right. Like I actually enjoyed watching it. Even even the female Decepticon wasn't like just a spine with some armor on her shoulders. Yeah. Like she was a legit humanoid robot. Yeah. And I thought that yeah. was super cool. I do have one logistical question. Maybe you can answer it. Okay. The two Decepticons that land on Earth. Th- I don't think this is a spoiler. No. The two probably de- not. the two Dece- Decepticons trying to ruin everybody's day. They're supposed to go to California uh-huh. where Charlie and Bumblebee are. Yeah. And they land in like Texas. Uh-huh. They have <laughs> such advanced technology to find Earth. And really it's it seems like that's set up so that there is a point in the movie where they kind of build it up. Oh, and they're they found out that Bumblebee is on Earth. Oh, they they're traveling to Earth. Oh, that they, they've landed in Texas? Not the state that Bumblebee is in, mm. is that just to artificially give them more time together, like Charlie and Bumblebee? Why couldn't they just know where on Earth to land? Well, it was the 80s, right? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> it was the 80s. In the movie. How advanced you know, were they? The <laughs> this, this movie's advancement in technology given to you by the, the Transformers is the internet. They invented the internet in this movie, basically. <gasps> That's right. Uh, so, But that you know infrastructure didn't exist on sure. Earth yet. Plus, gotcha. if you compare traveling from one of like fucking Saturn's moons or whatever they killed Cliffjumper on to, uh, <laughs> whoa, spoiler! It happens in like the first not Cliffjumper. <laughs> he gets fucked up. He yeah, but it's like it's the distance between Texas and California is probably just nothing to them. Probably so, and but, plus they acquire air vehicles anyway. That's true. So yeah, that's true. I just thought it was interesting. Uh, just, anyways, uh, it's a good Transformers movie. It's rated well. Uh, the characters are well done. Um, the comedy isn't too ridiculous like it has been in the past. Uh, and the toys are good again, kind of. The one, the Bumblebee movie toys aren't good, but there are good movie toys now. So <laughs> Hallelujah. Yes. Bless. Okay. Uh, so that's my excuse to talk about Transformers. Uh, <laughs> so before we get into our feature film, we do have one more. We're going to talk about uh, the current blockbuster, Captain Marvel. I haven't seen this yet, but you two have. So let's uh, let's fire away. Do you want to start? I can. <laughs> I really wanted to love this movie. I was so psyched. You know, I, I love, I mean, I loved what uh, Infinity War did. That's no secret. Not everybody loved that movie. I totally understand. The last couple of Marvel movies, I just haven't really enjoyed it as much when it's about one character. And I don't really yeah. know why. Like Ant-Man and the Wasp was just fine for me. Like I, I've i forgotten a lot of that movie and a lot of it seemed needlessly complicated. And um, this one is another origin story for us before Endgame. End wo- Endgame, yes, right? Yes. <laughs> I almost said end war. End war. <laughs> uh, Both are equally valid words yes. in the yes. lexicon. 
Uh, so Endgame is coming up in like six weeks uh, from the time we're recording. A yeah, very is, short turn yeah, on there between the two. It's like Black Panther and Infinity War. I f- is it is it even shorter than that? Though? I think it, it may be like a week or two shorter. Yeah. But I think Black Panther was, I want to say that was February 2018. Mm-hmm. And then Infinity War was roughly the same time as Endgame, um, just a year ahead. So this is what Marvel is giving us before Endgame. And it makes sense because a lot of the events that happen in Infinity War will be influenced by what happens in Ant-Man and in Captain Marvel. And you could make the argument that Captain Marvel should have come way earlier because it's set in the mm-hmm. 90s. It's kind of another period uh, piece like Bumblebee. Um, and I really wanted to like this more than I did. Uh, I think that the first 20 minutes we're supposed to be sort of taking the conventions of a regular superhero movie and just really expediting them and um, making them really recognizable patterns and just quickly kind of going through the motions. And that was really disorienting to me. I didn't know how much I was supposed to be paying attention to. There's a lot of rapid fire information being thrown at you. And I found that so disorienting that it kind of put a bad taste in my mouth. Um, the character of Captain Marvel herself, um, I really like her her powers and the way those are shown in the film. And I love Brie Larson and everything she's done as an actress. I think she's incredible. I like uh, Glass Castle and uh, the, and Room and um, uh, Short Term 12. She's amazing in all these movies. And as Carol Danvers, who is the real name of of Captain Marvel, um, I think she does a pretty good job. You know, I, 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 it's, it was really exciting to learn that she was going to be in the Marvel movies and she's like really dedicated herself the last like three years to this role. And I remember when this news first came out that she was going to be Captain Marvel, she posted a picture online of like, um, just starting to prep for the role and she was reading actual Captain Marvel comics. I thought that was awesome. Uh, but I, I think that the, the story just, in some ways, it was just kind of a little boring for me. Um, the visual effects are amazing. They're, they're awesome, as always. The de-aging that they do on Samuel L. Jackson, who plays yeah. a younger version mm-hmm. of his character, obviously. It's incredible. He yeah. looks... He it, looks does, it doesn't look it's super artificial. It's the first like, one that hasn't bothered me. Yeah. That I like forgot that they even did. Yeah. Uh, he, lo- he looks incredible. Uh, there's... There are other characters who are de-aged who don't look as convincing, but they don't play as big of a role in the film, so it's not as big of a deal. Uh, but I saw this really late at night. I saw this at like 10.30 p.m. <laughs> I kind of got drowsy partway through. I want to see it again. So that's kind of where I am. Um, I'll, I'll end with, it did leave me marginally more excited for the next movie. Mm-hmm. And I was already pretty excited for Endgame, so I'm at least marginally more excited. And so um, that coupled with, you know, this new character with her awesome powers and the great visual effects, I think it's just worth seeing any of these movies on the screen just to see all the technical wonder and the spectacle. Yeah. And they, well, and they released the new trailer for Endgame today. Mm-hmm. Yes, so I was like, that's good timing because a lot of people already went out to see this movie. So now they're yes. like, oh, okay, I see what's up. Yeah. And there's it, there's some good stuff in there if you saw Captain Marvel. You know, I'm excited yeah. for it. Yeah. I, I kind of agree. Like, I really enjoyed watching this movie, but definitely like 
the first part of it. Like, I feel like they, maybe they, like, rushed to, like, write this or something. Like, I just felt like the beginning they did not do a great job of, like, setting it up. Like, just the story and, like, who the heck is she? Like, we don't know who she is. Um, so that I had a problem with that, but, um, I really enjoyed, there was, there was a lot that, um, like something that bothered a lot of people about Wonder Woman, not to like pit these two like female characters against each other, but a lot of people that bothered them about Wonder Woman was the whole like love story thing. Cause Mm. a lot of women are like, a lot of us are just kind of like over it. Like we don't need a man to like, you know, give us motivation to like save the world or whatever. Um, but with this movie, there wasn't a love interest, Yeah, which like, I honestly don't know if I've seen that, like, let alone there's like barely any like female superhero movies, but I don't think I've ever seen one where there wasn't at least some sort of like, quote, like love connection. Like even with like Catwoman and stuff, like she's always had like that weird thing with like Batman or whoever, depends on the movie you're watching yeah yeah yeah. uh but with this one it was purely just like she has her friends and she has like mentors but like even i was kind of nervous that um jude law's character can't remember his name it's like yin rog oh yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) some weird alien name yon rog yon rog yes i was kind of nervous that at some point they were going to give them this weird like chemistry like what usually happens like it seemed like from the trailers just yeah i think we're kind of accustomed to that like you see that handsome male character and you just assume right right i was yeah. like all right all right it's jude law like i you know i'd be that i'd do that <laughs> i'd buy self respect our friend <laughs> jude law stefan and i have a friend who has i think she's seen every jude every law movie every single jude law movie <gasps> And owns most of them. Owns most of them and went on a quest to do this. And I think even there's some like really obscure ones that you can only get through very unusual means. Mm-hmm. And oh she's even gosh. seen those. Yeah. I need so to. People out there are obsessed with Jude Law. That's so amazing. It's pretty natural to think that. I thought I was obsessed with Jude Law, but I haven't seen <laughs> every single not, thing. Apparently, not he's that done. much. Yeah. Apparently, I'm not. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough you're of a Jude a ca- Law. You're fan. a casual. I'm a casual, casual Jude Law appreciator. <laughs> But I, I genuinely thought that they were going to, like, in the end, like, oh, you know, they're, you know, they have this connection or whatever. But they never did that, which I was really glad because um, I feel like in the early 2000s when we got a few attempts at female superhero movies, it was, like, kind of the common thing you see in Hollywood, like, way older, like, mentor dude and, you know... The woman superhero who's like the under his wing, like they fall in love or like one of them likes each other, uh, but it just doesn't happen in this one. And I'm just really relieved because uh, I think I'm just sick of seeing that. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just like refreshing for, I guess, Hollywood in general to kind of be looking at that more seriously. Like, it's like in a movie if an older woman likes a younger man it's like the whole center of the film Mm -hmm. like that is what the film Mm -hmm. is about is the fact that she's older whereas with like a regular movie an older guy liking a younger woman it's just like oh yeah yeah that's normal Mm -hmm. that that could be a result of 
this story being by four women yeah. and one man. And then the screenplay was written by two women and uh, a man. And two of the screenplay writers were the directors. Um, and the writer of Wonder Woman was a man, you know, so maybe mm-hmm. that's that's a result of that. Because uh, I think it's just something we're so used to seeing. And that's why I was expecting to see them have this weird like love connection. But then I didn't. And I was like, oh, I felt free. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't. This doesn't have to happen in a movie. That's nice. But um, I I genuinely appreciated this movie, like just from like a feminist standpoint and just her, the whole character and how she's portrayed. And I like what it says about like female friendship also and like definitions of like family, like you have like a chosen family, which she basically had, who were also like her best friends and um. I, yeah, I just I liked what they were saying with this movie. I I just wish that they would have taken more time to lay out the foundation. Is kind of my thing. Yeah, I agree with you there. I one of my favorite characters was Maria Rambo, who's from her um, Air Force yeah. days, played by Lashana Lynch. You know, all that stuff was super interesting, and I could have used like even more of that. I mean, yeah. that's the, mm-hmm. there, there were lots of characters in this movie, but. I'll be interested to hear what you think about the movie Stefan when you see it because you're okay. gonna mm-hmm. you're gonna catch up with it yeah before Endgame of course yes so there's, there's no reason you I would it, it is and like it's not my favorite Marvel movie but I think that they're definitely all worth seeing in mm-hmm. the theater just not only are they grand on spectacle and it's just like it's a cultural thing like it mm-hmm. just feels like you're missing out if you don't see them absolutely and you've seen so many of them that it's like <laughs> it's like a sunk cost thing like you feel like why would i stop now yeah. even if you hate them i yeah. also feel like brie larson was like the perfect choice for her because i feel like she is carol yeah <laughs> like it's just brie larson like playing herself but like <laughs> badass times a thousand right. like with powers uh so yeah. She don't need no man. She don't need Jude Law, which <laughs> she normally Jude Law. I would say is sacrilegious. Whatever. <laughs> no, she's, we'll make an exception. I, I <laughs> haven't seen it, but she's really embraced the the mantle um, mm-hmm. in in the Marvel universe as like this strong female superhero that finally gets her own film. And there's been a lot of those toxic nerds just like. Throwing yeah. the backlash out there. Yeah. there was like, even it's like 2016 well, Ghostbusters all over again. Exactly. Yeah. And I guess Rotten Tomatoes is like changing their whole like critic thing because mm-hmm. there were so many trolls. Yeah. Like what? Giving, yeah. There yeah. Were, Fake like, bad this, reviews just because. This was the most uh, like, I guess, trolled movie oh, uh, yeah, like yeah. in history apparently. Like people who hadn't seen the movie were like giving it negative reviews because it really? was like a female-based movie. Mm-hmm. Wow. So yeah. times are changing. But she's not like, she's not being aggressively, you know, mm-hmm. outspoken against these comics gate, you know, morons, but she's like taking it in stride and really still just like, okay, whatever, but I'm still going to do my job and this is what it's all about. Mm-hmm. And there, there, there was like this whole thing like even Zachary uh Levy who's gonna play Shazam was yes. even like get you know put your heads on right just like 
stop, you know, Mm -hmm. throwing shade at this movie just because of what it is and stop pitting it against us just because Captain Marvel used to be called Shazam at one point or whatever, um, or the other way around, I guess. Um, But yeah, so she's, I think she's really taken everything, all of the negative and just turned it into something like the numbers will show for itself in the end and it'll all come out in the wash and you guys will continue to be what you are. And I think that it's great that she is the person that gets to do this because I think, I don't know that everyone else would have been able to, to pull it off, you know, yeah, would have been able to wear that on her shoulders. Yeah. All right. So we're going to keep it in the sci-fi action, still kind of comic realm and talk about our feature film uh, today. And today that is Alita Battle Angel. Um, And if one of you wouldn't mind giving the synopsis here. (laughs) <laughs> what? I don't know if I could do this on my own. Uh, so it's the, let's just, <laughs> let's tag team it. Okay. 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 So it takes place in the 26th century. Something like that. I didn't even know that. <laughs> Hun- hundreds of years after the a, ca- a catastrophic, ca- catastrophic event known as the fall that has thrown the world into turmoil. Uh... <laughs> There is a scientist <laughs> named Dr. Ito. Yes. Played by Christoph Waltz, who stumbles across uh, a body, a cyborg body, or is it, it a- Like parts it's cyborg. Parts, yeah. A cyborg uh, that is later called Alita, that he takes back and brings to life, to his to his laboratory. Yes. He he is a a cyborg technician- Yes. In this ah. like lower earth slum because there's also the upper crust that is literally upper in the sky. You know, there's a very strong class divide here. Yes. And everyone who's stuck on the ground is the lower class. Yes, and, and they live in what's called the Iron City, at least where this movie takes place. Right. Iron City. And they're trying the the place in the sky is called Z- Zalem. Yeah, something like that. Gollum. Some, <laughs> some yeah. pseudo Latin yeah. whatever bullshit. Zolom, yes. Um, and so he's this cyborg technician. He helps all the people who have synthetic limbs due to whatever circumstance, you know, injury. Right. He doesn't uh, just build stuff. He he helps people who need right. these yes. cybernetic attachments. Yes. yes. Or people who also use it for a sport called... What is it? Motorball. 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 Basically, you uh, the very stripped down version is that you have uh, rollerblades that are motorized, and you have to carry this ball. And I believe there's like a goal, like a little hoop sort of a thing. Uh, but for most of the motorball scenes, that doesn't matter. Yeah. It's like Quidditch. Yeah. In a way. Yes. Quidditch. It feels like, you know, there's these teams of like seven players but really it's only what one of the players does that matters <laughs> all the rest is just for show you yes. don't need so to like the hoop doesn't matter it's about all the other stuff that ha- all the fighting and stuff right yeah except that motorball is not a team sport it is all for yourself it is battle royale it's yes. like roller derby but depressing <laughs> and yes. extra dangerous much more Super. metal and spikes <laughs> yes we sound like insane people describing this movie <laughs> This is based on a real manga, um, and I believe there have been attempts to make uh, animated 
movies before. Yeah, there's. I watched a little tiny history lesson on it on YouTube, and it said there were these mini episodes that they did that were like cartoon, mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and they weren't. This great. is James Cameron's baby for like a decade. Mm-hmm. Really wanted to bring it to life. Could never fit it in with all the Avatar stuff. And decided to prioritize on Avatar, or as you were describing, yeah. he wanted to use Avatar as like a, a proof that he could bring this property to life. Yeah, on the like basically, he was really obsessed with this technology and really wanted to use it for Alita specifically because he was such a huge fan of it. But um, I guess investors weren't really into it, and so to prove to them that it was, um, you know able to be successful that's kind of why he did avatar was to prove that it can be successful and then he could use it for alita Mm. so it's kind of like i guess his big big passion project which uh didn't show too much for me (laughs) (laughs) watching it and robert rodriguez was added on as the film director in 2016 so finally found a home with you know, a, a renowned and celebrated director, somewhat. Uh, and I don't know if we we probably missed stuff. There's a lot of crazy things about this movie. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of lore in this movie that we'll get to. I'm sure as we talk about we'll it. Try to. Anyway. We'll try to. There's there's bounty hunters called hunter warriors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, every every cyborg android race needs someone who hunts down the other cyborg androids. Yes. Yes. Did any of you read the the mangas? No. Okay. I did not. Yeah. If you if you have seen previews, you'll notice that Alita has giant eyes. So I think that's like their thing. Like she's an anime girl, but not really. Yeah. Like I think they were kind of like she like she's not human. Like she's Mm -hmm. robot. But all, I don't know. Like, I watched a behind-the-scenes thing about, like, how they were able to, like, create Alita and, like, the characters like that and all her crazy movements. And it's basically the same technology they use for Planet of the Apes, like the new movies. Mm -hmm. But they were like, well, what was difficult about this one was that, you know, we have to make her look... Like, we know she's not human, but she has to, like, look human at the same time. Like, we're not making her into a blue, like, alien creature like they did for Avatar. Mm -hmm. But the whole time, like, looking at Alita's face just reminded me of freaking Superman's mustache mishap. (laughs) Wow. In, what do you call it? The The movie I want to forget. Mission Impossible. Yeah. Or you mean... um, No, uh, Marvel. uh, You mean uh, Justice League. Justice League. Yes. Looking at her, just I could not get out of my head Superman's CGI face <laughs> without a mustache. That was my thing. With I just don't think it was. I think they tried to do it to be just because it was like a goal of his and they really wanted it, but I don't think it was very necessary. Yeah. I, I do think that the Alita's character design was very distracting. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, because it looks enough like Rosa Salazar just on yeah. her, on its own that it's like just be just be her, mm. you know? Right? Like we know she's a robot. We see her robot arms, yeah. <laughs> and legs and body. Like right, 
Like there's uh, there's no point in the movie where you really only see her face because she's always wearing like t-shirts or if she's not wearing t-shirts, she's in battle armor. Mm-hmm. And so you don't ever really lose that sense that she's not human. Um, even, you know, if she had a human face. Because if you think about all the other cyborgs that are in the movie, even though they are of different origin, they're still cyborgs and they still look like everyone else just with robot bits, mm. you know? Yes, it's true. Some points in a really just unnerving way, you know, mm-hmm. like the way that um, a cyborg's only human features are its face mm-hmm. and then everything else is mechanical and, and cyborgy and weird. Um, I actually, it worked for me the other way because I knew that she wasn't entirely human. I, it wasn't like an uncanny valley situation or anything. I, her big eyes and stuff, like it didn't bother me because I just knew that she wasn't all human. And so I was able to not let that bother me, Mm -hmm. I guess. Does that make sense? I don't Mm -hmm. know. Yeah. I mentioned a problem earlier that I had with like too many villains when we were talking about Bumblebee. I was talking about this movie because at any point, I think there are four villains in this movie. I think there are. I think there's, Yeah. I I think to mention all of them might be a spoiler, but they all kind of relate to each other in some way, but I never knew like what, what conflict this movie was trying to push yeah. um, as, mm-hmm. a, as what it wanted us to focus on at any point. I, I, that was my biggest problem with it. And um, the other thing I, I had a problem with was this whole world that they live in, Iron City, it's just, it, it is like an interesting looking place, but it's supposed to be economically just in the gutter and horrible and awful place to live. Uh, and yet everybody's walking around with like hyper modernized clothes and like everybody looks really clean and everything. So there's mm-hmm. a disconnect there. And then there's this huge emphasis on motorball. Like motorball <laughs> is at the end all be all reason of existence for a lot of these characters. Mm-hmm. And it's how you winning this motorball tournament, this really exclusive event is like how you ascend to get to this this holy land of Zalem. And it's just, it all feels very superficial. Mm-hmm. And uh, not, it feels like it's it was thoughtfully put together, but maybe at, at first glance it looks like it all holds together. But once you start examining it, it just kind of falls apart. Like mm-hmm. it, it just doesn't, it's not very well thought out in my opinion. It's huh. like, the motivations behind each character are just like, meh. <laughs> yeah. Like, to them, it's... it's supposed to be like, life or death, but really it's not. Yeah, like, it's... at least you don't get the feeling it is. It's not, it's very one-dimensional. Yeah. I, you know, I I don't know. Well, even even our, um, even our other character, what's his name? The you boy. Say, yeah. The love interest. Hugo. Even Hugo. Hugo's, Hugo. his motivation is only to get to Zalem. And yeah. like he can't play motorball to do it. And it's just, right. it's not, to me it doesn't seem like a strong enough motivation. Like this whole get to Zalem thing doesn't seem like a strong enough motivation for anybody to do anything. And the whole time they're not showing you any second of what Zalem looks like. So you know that it's probably just as much a hellscape up there as it is down there. Or it's not a hellscape, but it is undesirable 
just as undesirable as being in Iron City, but maybe mm-hmm. for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't know what's up there. No one ever talks about it. No one's ever been up there and come back and said, it's awesome. Right. Confirms. Yeah. <laughs> you know it's horrible up they there. Just, they just throw their trash out on <laughs> <Yeah>. them. <laughs> All that trash that's in Iron City came from there. Yeah. How much trash do they have, yeah. you know? It's horrible up there. So I, I don't know. It just seems like no one in their right mind would believe what these characters would believe. Right. It does, yeah, everybody seems a little bit naive, except, of course, for Dr. Ido. Ido. Yeah. Well, and even in like the beginning, the way they set it up just felt so weird to me. Like it was, I don't know if it was like this for anyone else, but like basically he goes like gets her out of the junkyard, builds her, and she wakes up, hi, mm-hmm. like she knows them. I'm yeah. like, sorry, is there any confusion? <laughs> like she's just like, I don't remember my past. Hmm, what's what's an orange? I want one. Like that's it. And I'm just like, how would you forget that? Yeah. I'm just like, uh, I don't know. It just felt weird. Isn't taste like, so supposed to be one of the strongest uh, I mean, memory not senses? Not as strong as smell, but but yes. smell and taste True. are very strongly connected. That's, you're not wrong. I don't know. I don't understand that. <laughs> so. There's lots of things like that. I don't know. But she's all like, her brain's the only part of her that's human anymore. So maybe it doesn't work the same. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I don't fucking know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Good you James came in on the line now. Yeah, <laughs> we have know. questions. I do. I think this movie is still like really bold, though, for yeah. being as shallow as it is in some ways. Uh, the action is is very. It feels very visceral at times, um, and uh, it just like kind of swings for the fences. And it is really uh, almost mortifying in some ways. Just the way. Uh, bodies are ripped up. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of yeah. limbs being cut off in this movie. It's horrifying in many ways. Um, so it's just kind of like doing whatever it wants. But there's more of, we'll talk about in spoilers. I know, but a lot of there's... people are cyborgs too. Like they're they right. Aren't yeah, like they're like part organic limbs most right, of the time. Right, but I mean, sometimes you have a cyborg who's like looks all like a robot mm-hmm. or whatever, except for their face, and so you see a robot's arm getting cut off, but a human face is screaming, and I don't know how to react to that. I don't, <laughs> I I don't know. You know, it's it's different. It's different characters than we've seen in sci-fi. Before we move to, to spoilers, I do want to say that I enjoyed the hell out of the character design. I thought cool. all of the cyborgs, pretty much all of the cyborgs, looked super awesome. And if I, when I was watching Alita, I was thinking, this would be an incredible video game. And I think That's it would be an awesome video game. Yeah. That's exactly what I thought because I feel like what I almost so James Cameron, he's always been kind of good at like trends setting, I feel like, with his movies in a way, or just like breaking boundaries. And I feel like maybe what they were going for, because video games I mean, it's a bigger industry than film now. Like everyone wants to work in video games now. I feel like they were trying to merge the worlds in a way. But it just wasn't working. Like, it's just, it's, you can't do it that way. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. if you think about some of the weaker points of the film, they they are points that are more forgivable if they were that way in a video game. Like, some of the character dialogue isn't as strong and some of the motivations aren't as clear. But if you're in a video game and these are non-playable characters, that's forgivable because they have to be at a certain point in time to progress main character story. 
Like, they have to be available for the main character to progress their story. And they just have to sit there and wait Mm -hmm. for you to come to them. And so I think it would make, it would have made a great video game. I think to make a video game based on this movie would be a mistake. But right. if it had been a video yeah. game. It doesn't go both ways. Yeah. If it had been a video game on its own, I think it would have been really awesome. And there would have been a lot of great boss battles. And and motorball would be like the side game. And you right. try to get yeah. the gold medal. I yeah. think it would I be. Totally, I think it would I be totally get that. Fun. Yeah. It feels very video gamey. The action sequences, a lot of the time that were spent in this movie you know, some of it kind of seems like this is filler time before we get to the next action sequence too. Mm-hmm. And um, also, when I'm watching this, I'm thinking of like Mega Man. It feels like the I'm watching, you know, not necessarily characters from Mega Man, but there's influences like that in Absolutely. here um, for sure. Like with, you know, Dr. Wily and Dr. Light, mm-hmm. you know, those characters are in this movie. And uh, kind of see the influence of like manga on video games and video games on movies here. But yeah, it's probably the wrong medium. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Okay, so since uh, I think we have the general same feel about the movie, we'll try to make the discussion just completely short. We'll go ahead and, and uh, move on to spoilers. So if you have not seen the movie and you do not want it spoiled, this is the part where you should leave the episode. Could it really be that simple? Secret lies with Charlotte. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Aren't you asking us to accept a pretty incredible coincidence? I'm just saying a coincidence is possible. And I say it's not possible. Where are those keys, Rose? You know I can't give you the keys, right, babe? Silent Green is people! The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And like that, he's gone. All right, and we are back from the bumper Let's talk about some spoilers. I don't know if this is actually a spoiler, but the whole... So I haven't read the mangas, but my boyfriend has read them. Oh, He's a huge fan. So that's kind of how I know a little bit of how it was supposed to be. And I guess the whole, like, love story, which was kind of like one of the main things in this movie, like between Alita and Hugo, does not exist in the world at all. I don't even think Hugo's... Yeah. I don't even think Hugo's character exists. Oh. So when I learned that, I was really annoyed. Coming yeah. just off, coming off of Captain Marvel, yeah, where, yeah. which yeah. doesn't have yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just like <laughs> very shoehorned in love interest character. It's just so it's getting so annoying because I feel like some filmmakers just don't want to let go of the whole like, oh, but love motivates all things. I'm like, there's other types of love, guys. Like. People love their friends. People love their pets. You know, like that's really that's interesting because yeah. that's definitely her strongest motivation. Yeah, is Hugo. She does everything for Hugo, like to the point where it's a little much. Yeah, they fall like, in love a lot. Much. They fall in love really fast, and I don't really believe their connection at all. And oh, when no, he says, "You're the most human person I've ever met," and I love you, and they kiss in the rain, I just didn't buy it at yeah. all. Mm-hmm. I d- didn't really feel anything there. Well, and apparently, like the. The kind of like feel of the mangas, like they were very much like dark and she was very like badass and like cool and like kind of like gothic steampunk, but mm-hmm. also with like, you know, Asian influences. And right. It, it was just like unique and cool. And she didn't have a dude that she was like 
fighting for constantly. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, if they would have kept with that same like message, like this movie could have been so cool. Right. But they, I don't know what, James Cameron just has a thing about like couples dying all the time mm-hmm. for each other. Like I'm just, I'm kind of over it. Like Jack already died on the, <laughs> on the <laughs> door. This guy died. He dies. <laughs> yeah, Hugo dies. Hugo dies. That's the like, spoiler. <laughs> three times, kind of. Yeah. He does. I don't understand most of what he does in the movie. I mean, there's the there's the end scene where he tries to literally run up the wire, huge wire thing, up to Zalem, but everybody knows that those ring spike things can be deployed and kill anyone. Who well, not not necessarily everybody knows because Alita's whatever battle team happened way in the past way in the past I just, and she's the only one that remembers. i just assumed everybody knew that that could right. happen i don't know i guess they don't read right. history or anything <laughs> i down guess in they're Iron uneducated yeah. <laughs> i guess they don't know anything about the huge battles of the last two centuries uh yeah i then there's the whole part with um his him just becoming a cyborg you know like he's mortally wounded yeah and uh that was crazy i, I don't know I, I thought that was like kind of a stretch. Yeah. What was the point? What was the point of him <laughs> becoming a freaking cyborg just to die like immediately? Well, he's got to not that. be dead. I mean, they're probably they left it wide open for a sequel. Oh, there's absolutely oh, they gonna did. be a sequel if it does well enough. I, I don't know. I don't know. They're, I, they're probably going to make a sequel. I think it... So the assumption is that he didn't die. He's really? going to. I mean, if they went through all that trouble. To make him a cyborg and then to have him fall off and he didn't, he didn't like get crushed or, you know, explode or anything. I guess he did He just fell, he just fell. fell, So he could have fallen to a safe landing somehow. I don't know. Or maybe he'll end up in a scrap heap in pieces and someone will discover him and make him into a second cyborg. Who the fuck knows? (laughs) This movie is crazy. See, I like the concept of him, you know, being mortally wounded, becoming a cyborg just to like get his shit tossed a few minutes later. Like, I would I love like if, that. I that's would love darker. if that's the case, but I don't think it's going to go like that. You don't I think, think so? I think he's totally fucking coming back. <laughs> I think he is. And I'm sorry. I wish it wasn't like that. God, I don't know. Hugo. I just <laughs> Hugo. God. So there's four villains in this movie. Yeah. Right? Well, I, I'm thinking of four, but like one of them I would consider a henchman of the other. Right. One is like kind of mind, one is mind controlled by. Ed, well, so See, he's Ed, not even the one I'm thinking. I'm thinking of big, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Gruishka. I'm thinking of him as being a henchman for, um, f- fucking Ali's uh, vector yeah, or no vector vector. vector. Yeah. yeah. So, but he's still another character, nonetheless. Yeah. I mean, so you have, so first in Zalem, you've got the mad scientist played by. Brrr, Edward Norton. That you don't even discover. Until you don't even discover until minute. the last F and second of yeah. the movie. That's I crazy. I don't even remember that. So I when she remember. wins the... So, she, so full spoilers. We're in spoilers, right? Yeah. yeah. She wins the... This is what I hate about this movie, is that we spend so much time watching Motorball, and then the one time where she wins Motorball to go up to Zalem is the very end of the movie, and you don't even see it. It just... It just shows you that she's getting ready for motorball motorball and then she wins it and she's holding her sword up in the air. I don't think she had won it at that point. I think that's still pregame. 
Uh, oh, you think so? I think that's all pregame, but at this point, oh. she's like developed a, a following, like a, what do you call a that? A fan base? A, a club. Sure. She's a got fandom. a fan club. Yes. You're right. You're totally right. She hasn't won it yet, but uh, you see Edward Norton. He is, what's his name? Oh, uh, Nova. Nova. Nova Vector. Between Nova Geometry. Vector and Gruishka, <laughs> I'm having a really hard time. So you have you have Nova, who's up in Zalem, and he has the power somehow to mind control his subjects. Mm-hmm. Oh my God! Yeah, I totally fucking forgot about that. Yes, I had to God. remind myself of this today because it's been like a month since I've seen it. So he can do that. So he is acting through Mahershala Ali's character, Vector, right? Mm-hmm. So in this particular instance, I think it's really it really muddles everything because you have the big bad, you have the big, big bad, and then you have the big bad, and then you have a bad guy, and you actually have two bad guys because there's Gruishka, and then there's Zepan, that asshole uh, hunter-warrior dude. Who mortally wounds Hugo, Mm -hmm. you know, all these people. So who am I supposed to like root against? It's like all these. I think it would have been much cleaner if they had somehow found a way to directly, more directly incorporate Nova, get rid of Vector and just have Gruishka and Nova or something like that. Mm -hmm. Or just have Vector and Gruishka. I don't know. Or just not Zapan. Or and not Zapan because... You know what? That's Gru- actually really good. Gruishka nope. could have done what Zapan did. To exactly, Hugo. dude. Gruishka and Zapan felt like one character split up mm-hmm. for no particular reason. Mm-hmm. All all that changed between the two of them is who they were aligned with. Right. One was a hunter warrior who wasn't even like good like the other hunter warriors seemed to be, and Gruishka was just acting on Nova's team. And and they, Zapan had a Mars sword. That, that's like the only thing about him that made a difference. Yes. He had a Mars sword. Yes. I thought his character was like the most interesting, I guess, stylistically. Mm-hmm. Zapan? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I was like, that guy's evil, but he's cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But the rest of him, I was just like, okay. I'm fine. <laughs> Just underwhelmed. We haven't even talked about Jennifer Connelly's character. We haven't. She is Dr. Ito's ex-wife. Yes. They had a child together named Alita. Shocker. Fucking imagine that's where that name came from. Right. That's I'm why Dr. Ito names her that. Yes. I think in the manga, though, it was actually named after the guy's cat. Okay. Interesting. So that's another fun so fact. Does that mean that Jennifer Connelly's character isn't in the manga? I bet too? she's not. Probably I wouldn't not. be surprised. <laughs> Sorry if all this is wrong. I haven't read the manga. <laughs> but for most of the movie, she's aligned with Vector because she used to live in Zalem and she thinks she can get back to Zalem through Vector. That's right. That's Vector's whole purpose is he's right. this gateway to Zalem. Do we know why she was like kicked out? Do they talk no, about it? They did not no. talk about that. I but, think it was because their daughter was sick. Uh, uh, yes, I think that's what I it was. I think that's was. probably why. But that that is a good reminder that we do have a character who has been up there who is down in Iron City, mm-hmm. who wants to go back. So she's either delusional or it really is nice up there. <laughs> who knows? Mm-hmm. With a guy like Nova up there, I can't imagine it's the perfect paradise, though. 
I don't know. I post-apocalyptic always has like this freaking utopia with its issues. Did yes. you guys ever see? I think what's it called, Elysium or something? It has Matt oh, Damon. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I I haven't seen that. I did see that. I hated it. It it's like the same con. <laughs> well, actually, that movie got this concept from Alita. Mm-hmm. This whole idea of like a a better you know whatever utopia right above them, and then they're on Earth, and it's like a shit storm. Yeah. It's yeah. just like. It's, uh, no, I hated that. I love Matt Damon, but I hated yeah, that like movie. I, I'm just not. I'm, I'm just oh, like nothing feels new. Yeah, ever. I don't know. No, I. I think. It can be fun to watch. I think that it doesn't. In the action sequences, you don't have what a lot of the Transformers movies have, where it's just like this, clash of beige and gray metal and you right. know weird this faces and you can't tell what's indecipherable happening. moving shapes right at, i don't think at any point in time you have more than three or four characters on screen at a time in an action sequence so it's not as crazy hard to follow yeah the action scenes are really fun there's the one in the alleyway when you first learn that ito is a hunter warrior and then there's the one in the bar with like just everybody going all over the place and that seems like it could be a little bit unbearable but But you can actually understand what's going on i i think the bar scene was the only scene that i really like enjoyed watching Mm -hmm. and the rest i was like "Eh." yeah (laughs) i liked the by the way we never get a full game of motorball in this whole movie no we don't but the Don't. motorball scene was, I thought, was you like yeah. the motorball, but I also yeah. like robot designs, obviously. Right. So that that helps a lot. But. Yeah. Uh, even though, yeah, we've been kind of shitting on this movie, but it's <laughs> it's not bad. Like it's, I actually kind of liked it a, a lot of the way in a lot of ways. Yeah. I just appreciated it for what it was trying to do, I guess, because mm-hmm. uh, it felt like it was doing something bold and. I was like really excited to see it too. I was Are you excited? too. Like I, that's why I was like, "Oh, we should do Alita because yeah. it might be really cool." I and then, never thought it looked great, yeah. but yeah. that allowed me to enjoy it a little bit more because that's I good. had very low expectations. <laughs> that's good. I think that I just think about what this movie does, and I cannot believe some of the stuff. Like Jennifer Connelly's character, uh, they they take her. Um, eyes what is it and they send them back up to Zalem. her eyes and her brain her eyes and her brain just oh my that's God. that's what vector does is that he promises a gateway to Zalem and he delivers but what you are is body parts for experiments for nova yes oh i didn't know that okay so that's yeah. that's how you get to Zalem is that you are experiment human body parts so what she wants to get back up to Zalem the whole movie was she like somehow manipulated with and programmed to want to go back up there is that actually her that's actually her it's actually her okay that's that's why you know when you see these human moments with her and alita and her you know empathizing with alita and her potential loss of hugo like she she wakes up in a sense or whatever True. she becomes less selfish mm-hmm. but this this whole motivation is hers all she wants to do is just get back to zalem she is someone who used to be rich and now is not. Right. Okay. But yeah, I I thought it was a fascinating movie. It's it's just weird. And I like mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I like bold weird stuff. Yeah. You know. I think it could have been 
really cool, but they just like missed the mark. I I agree. Like, yeah. I think there are there are a lot of things that could have been a lot better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hearing about the absence of Hugo yeah. in the manga makes a lot of <laughs> sense. Know. And yes. honestly, I would have preferred that he would have not been there because Alita's motivations would have been much better. Like even her finding her true identity mm-hmm. be you know became a backseat motivation to oh, yeah. to Hugo and getting him to Zalem. Like mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that there's just maybe like two or three too many characters in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like there's Alita, there's Ito, there's Hugo, Vector, Dr. Sheeran, who's Jennifer Connelly's character, there's Zapan, Gruishka. I mean, without some of those unnecessary characters they shoehorned in, I think it would feel like a truer adaptation. You know, it would feel like it wasn't trying to uh, serve up all these different emotions that it doesn't succeed at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. It's a mixed bag. It's yeah. a mixed bag. Yeah. 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 I, if you can see it in the theaters just to visually put your eyes on it, <laughs> give that a shot. Put your eyes that are, before they get sent to Zalem. <laughs> give that a shot if you can. If you can't catch it in time, I don't think you should feel too much regret. No. I think right. you'll be okay. This would be a good rental, I think. Yeah, yeah. good or rent. Catch it when it's streaming <laughs> or something. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, no one did a terrible job, I don't think. No. Yeah, like the actual acting was fine. Yeah. It was just the characters themselves. Mm-hmm. Are we excited for the sequel? The inevitable I don't... Alita 2? Maybe I now that know, Hugo man. might be out of the picture, but... <laughs> I would not count but on yeah, it. But yeah, like knowing the them. No, I I'm no. well, I wasn't excited for I'm not excited for a sequel. I wasn't excited for this one. I'm not excited for a sequel. If I can watch more robots especially focused on speed mm-hmm. and mobility, then fine. I'll watch it. Well, know. will they have a sequel if it's been doing so poorly? I don't think it's doing that poorly. It's not? The okay. review scores aren't even that bad. Um, 60 for critic score okay, and 94 so it's for like, audience. You could do a sequel. Yeah, There's, I think it'll be fine. On Wikipedia, they say, for this movie, they say, Cameron and Rodriguez have hinted that the film could lead to multiple sequels. Ew. On February 6th, 2019, they announced that they have plans for Alita Battle Angel 2 in the future. The casting of Edward Norton in a non-speaking role as Nova in this film was intended to be set up for the sequel, obviously. Mm -hmm. And like, they only got 3.3 million for the box office. I don't know if that's just this week or something. Mm. Oh, that must be this week because I think I was reading the film grossed like, has grossed 79 million in the US and Canada so far. I was going to say 3.3 is definitely a huge loss. No, that's very low. And then- World box office is currently at under four, just under four hundred million dollars. Okay, so pretty good. It costs budget was around one hundred seventy to make this movie. Yeah, I was gonna say like it was definitely a big <laughs> budget movie, so they couldn't have yeah only done three point three. So under four hundred million is probably not the best, but they probably turned a little bit yeah. of the profit. I I don't know. They'll probably make a second one. They hit marketing really hard ahead of time. They, like, yeah, they and that's no, I don't think there's anybody that and that's didn't a lot of money about it. A lot of a film's budget goes into that, so yeah. that's it'll be interesting to see how they go forward the next couple of years with plans for a second one. Who knows? And who knows with how long it took to do Avatar when it will be? That yeah, we will that's see it. yeah. 
Maybe. Well, once this was handed off to Rodriguez in 2016, I mean, it was a pretty standard production period. So it could be 2021 or two okay. when we see a sequel. I don't know. All right. If they stay on schedule. Well, if they do that, you will hear about it here on Cinema Roundtable. All right, so that about wraps it up for this episode of Cinema Roundtable. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening in. Be sure to join us in our next episode when our feature film will be the Jordan Peele follow-up to Get Out, the movie called Us. Until then, everyone, we'll see you at the movies. This episode was recorded in the studios of KZUM 89.3 FM in Lincoln, Nebraska. You can find out more about KZUM and listen to more episodes of Cinema Roundtable by visiting kzum.org. Our theme music was composed by Joshua Spaulding.